What I would like to do at this stage of the game here in 2022, uh, just beginning a new year, is to share with you um, some glimpses of what I'm writing right now in Volume 2 of Glory Through Time. Volume 1 has now been out for three or four months. Um, Glory Through Time is a, a narrative of the kingdom of God. It's not church history. It's a narrative of God's power as he pours out the Holy Spirit on nations to transform the nations. That's a different thing from church history. A lot of people have written church histories of this and that, but I feel God has really called me to focus on his power on earth as it is in heaven. So what evidence do we have that the power of God began to flow from heaven to earth with the ascension of Jesus Christ? And that is the focus of volume one, where we saw that Jesus poured out his spirit, and then we saw the desert fathers and mothers, and we saw John Cassian and, and uh, what happened with the Irish church, which was absolutely transformational, and then Columba in Scotland, and then trans the transformation of the Anglo-Saxons. And none of this happened because of the Constantinian church. And that's what the point that I'm trying to make here is, that Constantine... Uh, veered from Jesus's plan for the church by establishing a connection between the church and the state. And so Rome began to explore this and created a thing called what I call power and might Christianity. This is a very different idea of what Christianity is from Jesus's original idea, which is uh, the power of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts and filling us with God's power so that we can be transformational people from the Holy Spirit working in our spirit, you see. And, and, and that's following the vision of Scripture. Well, uh, as Constantine moved the church in a different direction, it became poisoned with a kind of virus uh, 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 or a, a, a disease of, of a spiritual nature because he was looking to the wrong power source for the kingdom of God. And he actually defined the kingdom of God as the Roman Catholic Church and not the Catholic Church. They didn't use that term, but it was the Roman Church in a, uh, a a political way, uh, trying to convert people, working through kings, and um, and that was not at, at all what Jesus had established as a pattern. Okay, so in the the Middle Ages, then, um, really awful corruptions uh, happened and became normal, um, so that. Uh, you have, from the top of the church to the bottom, you have massive, massive corruption. Why? Because power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
And, uh, and so in this book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Church by Malachi Martin, who is Catholic, so this is not anti-Catholic doctrine or anything like that. It's, it's just facts. It's, uh, it's a history of what happened to the church that put its confidence in worldly power, and that power corrupted. And pretty soon, in the uh, 11th, 12th, 13th century, you have four or five Italian families who are competing so that their man can become Pope. And, and if, the, if somebody else and somebody else's family becomes Pope, then that person's life is in danger because other families are going to plot that person's death. Is murdering popes is going to be a, a big part of Italian politics. And that's going to cover several centuries until finally, um, according to Malachi Martin, let me just read what happened. The French cardinals, now more powerful than the Italians, promised King Philippe that they could get the Archbishop of Bordeaux, Bertrand de Gaulle, elected as a compromise candidate. Philippe made his own arrangements with de Gaulle, who was elected in June 1305 as Clement V and was crowned in Lyon, France. In genuine fear of his life, he never went to Rome. Instead, for three years, he wandered among the French cities of Lyon, Cluny, Bordeaux, Toulouse, and Nîmes, and finally settled in Avignon. So then there came to be a papal court in Avignon, and there were then two popes and two papal courts and two centers of the of the Roman church and uh, did moving the papacy to Avignon solve the problem of corruption? Well, let me read to you from Petrarch his famous description of the papal court in Avignon, the fortress of anguish, the dwelling place of wrath, the sink of vice, the sewer of this world, the school of error. Well, you get the idea. In other words, solving the problem of the, of the location didn't solve the problem of the corruption. And so it only increased the problem and made it more complicated to solve. If God had allowed this situation to continue, we would have to say that we serve a powerless and rather pathetic God, wouldn't we? I mean, here are people, here is the enemy, Satan, who has completely infiltrated the church and brought total corruption so that not only is the church not transforming the world, but the world has transformed the church and rebuilt it in its own image. Do you see this point? So now we have to ask ourselves, what did God do to rescue his people from this situation? And he most certainly did act. Because we do have a powerful God, and we do have a king who is king of the nations. We do have the head of the church. We do have Jesus. All authority and power in heaven and on earth belongs to him. So then we ask, what did Jesus do about this situation? And that's what we're, we're going to be looking at in volume two. And that's what I would like to share with you, just little glimpses 
of what God did. Um, that's the focus of glory through time. What did God do? There is actually a parable of Jesus that he told uh, in which he, maybe we don't see this as a prophecy, but I do. I've come to see it as a prophecy where he says, the bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Well, that's all about rediscovering the power of the Holy Spirit, um, which which is the oil, the oil in that parable of Matthew 25. You see, it's a parable of the future. It's a pro- prophecy of the future where Jesus is saying that the church is going to be in this condition, but the Holy Spirit is the answer. And so there's going to be, come a time when people are going to wake up to this and they're going to suddenly realize we should have been doing this all along, you see? And so uh, out of this, we're going to look at what did God do to reintroduce the Holy Spirit as the oil that he has to anoint us so that we can become kingdom citizens filled with the Spirit, surrendered to Jesus. You, you see the point. What did he do? So that's the focus here. And I'm so excited to share with you the stories of his action. And we'll, we'll begin with that in our next newsletter. Um, it's going to begin in Scotland. And uh, he did some things in Scotland that hadn't, the, the like of which had not been seen. One of those things is he's going to introduce the spirit of prophecy. So I'm excited about this as I share with this. Uh, this with you uh, in our uh, next newsletter, okay? And uh, by the way, let me just uh, mention that I'm working on uh, volume two right now. It requires a lot of research, a lot of writing, but we will be um, getting this book out hopefully by the fall of 2022. And uh, this stuff is real fresh in my mind and my heart. And so I'm eager to share it with you before I actually come up with volume two. Okay, 